0: What's up everybody? Welcome to The Money Sitters, Episode 3. My name's Adi.
1: My name is Bharat. My name is Shanmoy.
0: And like I said before, we're The Money Sitters. Today, we're going to be talking about VC. But first, let me give you a little background on what we are and what we do. Every week, we plan to present an episode on some topic related to finance. Whether that's fi- financial technology or VC or any sort of f- topic related to finance, we're going to be here to present on it on a weekly basis. At the end of each episode, we're going to offer a recap of the market from last week, offer one stock pick we believe will succeed in the week following, and some major investments that may have occurred, along with a fun fact. Also, remember to follow us on all of our social medias. We have an anchor link if you want to access us on any major podcast platform. We have an Instagram at The Money Sitters and a Twitter at Money Sitters. And recently, we had one of our articles actually published on the Life at Tepper blog at Carnegie Mellon University. So check us out there and follow us and give us feedback when you can. We seriously appreciate it. So let's get into today's episode about VC, and I'll hand it off to Chumoy to get to get us started.
2: I mean, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but coming into college as a freshman, I really didn't know much about VC. And um, did you guys? Just quick question.
1: I mean, I'm from the Silicon Valley, so I guess all through my high school, I had a lot of VC influences. And so that was one of the reasons I was super interested in it coming into college. But then again, VC is kind of like a mysterious term to me. And I hope for these next four years and throughout my life, I get to learn a lot more about this field.
2: What about you, Aldi?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear VC, I just think Shark Tank. Um, But (laughs) Shark Tank has definitely been like the influence I've seen for entrepreneurs and investments. But like similar to Bharat, I think over these next four years, I definitely want to learn more about it and maybe even enter in the future.
2: Yeah, so, you know, although Shark Tank is a good place to start, there is a lot more that's actually behind venture capital. And essentially what venture capital is, is you are the entrepreneur. And what your job is, is that you have to go out there in the world, wherever it may be, not just in the US, and you have to do your research, find these new startups or companies in, you know, whichever sector it may be, and you need to do your valuations look at the products that are being offered and you have to make a decision saying, Hey, is this worth my time? Is this worth my money? Should I, you know, invest, uh, put a stake in and, you know, see where the company can take me. And, you know, uh, for a quick explanation, that's essentially what VC is. So a lot of the time VC is not really a set job, you know, you know, a a VC depends on who you are as a person and what your goals are. So being an entrepreneur, can vary for everybody. And so I just like to talk about the pros of venture capital and, you know, coming off of that, one of the best things about venture capital is that you're not working under anybody. You have all the freedom you want. You know, you don't work under anyone's hours. No one's telling you what to do. It's your research, your preferences. So it comes down to what you want and you know, The nice thing about that is that you can explore a lot. You're not restricted into any one thing, you know, because finance is a big industry. And when you work on finance, people tend to get uh, stuck in just one very meticulous job. And that's the good thing about VC is that you can go from technology to healthcare to energy, and you have a lot of freedom. And, you know, while venture capital does sound like a very, very great thing, there also does come, you know, a few cons. One thing being that although you're not working under anyone else's hours, you're still going to be working a lot of hours because finding the next Tesla, the the next Apple, it's not an easy task. You have to search through a lot of companies. You really do have to do a lot of research and you need that experience. You need to know what you're talking about. And, you know, it's, it's it's not a short thing to do. It'll take you a lot of time. And the other con I feel like Is that, you know, when you're an investor in the stock market or you work in the finance industry, there's not as much risk allocated with your job. You know, you're always getting a consistent pay or, you know, you know, you have you can have steady investments in the stock market or even have like treasury yields and bonds. But as a venture capitalist, you know, a company you invest in, it can either boom or it can tank. You really can't tell. So you're just taking the best shot you have. And so with venture to capital, there comes a lot more risk. And with that, I'd just like to hand it over to Bharat and Adi so they can explain the terms that are related to venture capital.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so before I jump into the terms and scare you off a little bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of finance industry and while VC may fall under this umbrella of finance, it has implications in so many different industries, like Shomai mentioned earlier healthcare, energy. There's so many ways that you can get involved. So even though you're not someone that's interested in finance, it's always a great, VC is always just a great thing to think about because whatever your major is, whatever your interests are, it can all tie into VC. And that's one of the really cool things about it, right? Population of people that get into VC, you have people with engineering backgrounds you have people with sales backgrounds you have people with more like a science background you have people with more of an artistic background all these different things contributed to vc and that's one of the things that was really really appealing to me
0: no definitely actually prior to us recording this podcast when we decided that we're going to talk about vc um this was exactly what hit my head i was like you know our podcast is about finance we say we're going to cover all these aspects about finance and traditionally vc is not always considered your normal uh, definition of finance, as most people will try to look towards like Wall Street or big market investments. But VC is definitely a portion of finance, but like Bharat said, its implications are universal. And it's the only way companies come out from the bottom and become bigger on a day by day basis. So that's why, like Bharat said earlier, um, it definitely has implications everywhere, um, but it still remains under the umbrella of finance as it involves um, money and it involves investment for the future
2: yeah i mean i forgot to mention that but i agree with you guys and i guess that's the beauty of it you know the amount of collaboration that goes into you know successful startups and venture capitalists
1: and so with that let's jump into venture capital terms i mean we have a lot to cover today and we want to teach you the most that we can for understanding of vc and give you some of the major terms so if you have a conversation with a vc or something like a random coffee table you can have a very proactive and intelligent conversation with them. So the first topic that we're going to be talking about is called the term sheet. So essentially, this is basically one of the most important documents that you will come across. And it is the document that is between an entrepreneur and a VC. And as you know, VCs invest in many different companies. It's a way to track their investments. So a term sheet basically outlines, it's like the blueprint of this entire, deal that is going to be going on so you'll be talking about equity here you'll be talking about different factors that are going to be implemented whereas like when you as a VC are going to be entering in as an investor to a a startup company there's a lot of legal things involved Um, you're going to have disagreements so all these things need to be outlined specifically in the term sheet
0: Definitely. Um, Like Bart said, the term sheet is going to be the most important document between the investor and the founders of the company. Um, If there were a few things you guys had to know as an introduction to the term sheet, there are probably four key terms. So first we have the pre-money evaluation, which is um, how the investor would value the company prior to the investment they're intending on making. So that is looking at the company's financials, whether that's revenue or customer acquisition costs or any other statistic to determine some sort of valuation for the company prior to that investor's investment. Then we have the post-money valuation. And as the name implies, this is gonna be the valuation of the company, including the investment that the investor is intending on making. So after the investment determines the right number and the right portion of the business that they want to acquire, they can then come to a conclusion on what the post-money valuation would look like. And then the third most important term is the option pool. And so the option pool is referring to the pool of stock options available for employees and talent retention. So this is accounting for all the stock or equity that is um, accounted for leaders of the company, founders of the company, or even investors in the company. And then whatever is left over is going to be allocated to new talent to retain them from other companies and keep them within the startup world and allows them to gain benefits down the line once the company sees growth in the future. So the term sheet is definitely going to be a very important document for investors to communicate how they feel about the company to the entrepreneur. And more importantly for the entrepreneur to understand whether this investment makes sense for their future. Now we're going to move into um, some other generic terms that investors may look into when deciding whether this company is correct for them. And I'll hand it off to Bara to talk about the available market and things beneath that.
1: So with this, there are three main, I guess, like terms that you guys need to know. So there's a TAM, which is a total addressable market. There's a SAM serviceable available market. And finally, the song, the serviceable, obtainable market. So when you're looking into an industry or a company specifically, you need to look into the area that they're stepping into. So, for example, if you take electric vehicles, for example, the total addressable market would be pretty much anyone who's going to be buying this product, right? Then you have to structure yourself into a more of a target market. So you can't go ahead and, as a company, say, I want to target this entire population, right? You need to have a specific and more directed plan so that you can achieve your goals much better. So then you step into the serviceable available market. So this will be like a specific area. So you can, you can basically divide up these different sections in any way that you want to, whereas it's region, whereas it's application, or anything like that. So a serviceable, a serviceable available market can be a geographic region. So previously we talked about the world, a serviceable, a serviceable available market would specifically talk about a certain area in the world. For example, um, you can talk about the United States as a specific area. And in that you can be talking about like a specific car or a specific automobile. So you have like trucks, you have cars, sedans. Uh, SUVs and all that stuff. So you can be targeting a specific market in that area. So these give you the opportunity to basically narrow down and specifically explain to an investor or anyone else your marketing plan. So it basically helps you with your marketing plan when you identify these areas. And finally, with the SOM, or the Serviceable Obtainable Market, this basically structures this entire idea of a market into a much more specific area and makes it easier for you to market it much better to your audience. And so with that, I want to pass it on to Moy to discuss the exit opportunities that a VC has when they invest in a specific company.
2: Yeah, so when it comes down to exit opportunities, there's not always one set path for a startup to take. So we know one of the opportunities is for the startup to be acquired by either a large private equity firm or just you know, a big public company. And one example of that was Ring being acquired by Amazon after given Ring's recent success for home security. Another exit opportunity is an IPO, otherwise known as an initial public offering. And essentially what that is, is the startup with its investors has to go around, market the company to potential buyers. You know, they need to raise funding and then after that, they have to create an S1 statement, um, and they give that to the SEC, which explains what their company is, uh, you know, the financials, how it works. And once that is approved, then they can be put on the market and, you know, publicly traded. So that's also another exit opportunity for startups.
0: Yeah, definitely. So as Shamoy said, the exit opportunity is not exactly one single path, which is why many investors choose to optimize themselves, whether that's selling out to a larger private equity firm or specializing in forming IPOs, which is of course a more difficult path to go down. Now, back, co- coming back to VC a little bit, recently in VC there's been a few bigger industries that investors tend to lean towards. Um, and there are five core industries. So number one, there is blockchain. Then we have artificial intelligence along with machine learning. Usually those two go together. And electric the, the electric vehicle industry telehealth industry, and educational technology. These five industries are forming the majority of recent investments in the VC world and are where investors see the future going. So I'll hand it off to Bara to explain a little bit more about blockchain.
1: So blockchain. So I I don't know about you guys, but for me when I first heard blockchain, it was so confusing. So I tried to do a little bit of research and I searched it up as well. And I thought I understood what blockchain meant. turns out i had no idea what blockchain meant so it actually took me a while to do a lot of digging and i just wanted to condense this information for y'all and give you basically a simple answer to what blockchain is so blockchain as you may have heard has many implications so one implication can be into digital currencies we've heard this term bitcoin being thrown a lot thrown out a lot and this is basically a digital currency that runs on the technology of blockchain Blockchain technology is essentially the idea that there is blocks that are going to be blocks of information that are sort of tied together. So, for example, if you step into a store like Walmart and you purchase a certain item, that piece of information regarding your transaction is a certain thing that will be attached to a certain block. So a block can be used to describe many different things. So a block can describe a certain product in Walmart. And so you have different products that represent different blocks. And every time a purchase happens for that specific good, that specific transaction will be saved to that specific block. And so each of these transactions are given a unique ID, and that's called a hash. So a hash protects the integrity of your transaction. And one of the biggest things with blockchain technology is that It is extremely secure. Blockchain technology is basically this general ledger of all these different transactions that are going to be happening. So not one person can come in and hack something because all this information is open to everyone to see. And with that being said, if you alter one aspect of the block, you're basically going to be altering previous aspects of the block as well. So it's extremely hard for hackers to really get into this and mess up the entire system. And so that's one of the reasons why many different industries are moving to blockchain to sort of funnel their growth. So another industry that is using blockchain is actually the healthcare industry. And you might be wondering how does healthcare play a role and how do they utilize blockchain? Well, EHR documentation or electronic health record documentation is actually a very big deal in the healthcare industry. And basically it's a lot of the legwork that happens when you go to a doctor's office, for example. So, they have information of your entire visit, and that information would be saved onto a blockchain ledger basically. And with that being said, your information is going to be highly secure and it will allow for people to easily access it. So, in the healthcare administration, it's very easy to access it. So, with blockchain, as an investor, it's a very endless opportunity. It's like this, almost like this big area where you can almost enter any industry and have blockchain as sort of the reason why you're entering this industry. So blockchain has very, has a very large implication in many different industries. And it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to be moving and progressing in the next decade. Personally, I believe that blockchain is going to be the the technology of our decade right now. So it's going to be interesting to see the implications and the way that we're going to be using blockchain to sort of transform our society today and so i'll transfer it off to audi to talk about the educational technology space and this industry is booming uh, especially with the pandemic so audi what are your thoughts on it
0: definitely so i mean i think when most people hear educational technology they might think something uh relatively boring compared to all the other technology advancements that are occurring in the world but Like Bharat mentioned, um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the transfer to remote learning across all major universities and institutions, including high schools as well, we've seen a big boom in the market and an instant revitalization within the stocks and the prices that they're holding now. So the educational technology market as a whole is the application of digital technology to deliver new forms of learning architecture. And it has four core subsectors. We have lower education, which offers a remote K to 12 experience. Then we have higher and self-education. So this is your university or professional grade education, along with people who are in industries already working who want to learn further using applications such as LinkedIn Learning or Coursera. Then we have submission portals. These submission portals allow teachers, professors, or any other faculty to auto-grade student work and also uphold academic integrity as they're able to compare one person's work to another's to make sure everyone is doing their own work. And lastly, we have talent recruitment. Talent recruitment, talent recruitment software allows universities, high schools to select teachers and professors that would best cater to their student population. This makes it very easy for the hiring process, especially in the new virtual world that everyone is living in. So educational technology is definitely gonna have big implications in the future. And one of the things that we're seeing now is that as universities have immediately switched to remote learning within the three month period, starting from March down to April, or down to May last year, we've seen a big rise in the educational technology market. So the reason investors are leaning toward it right now is because they believe that coming out of the pandemic, we will continue to experience remote learning in a lot of places. Now for K 12 education, we can expect that they will go back to in-person education once the pandemic is fully resolved. However, when it comes to higher education, we can expect that many institutions and universities will offer remote learning experience for those who need a flexible schedule and cannot work on the university's time. This will call for a whole other market and a, whole, a, lot, a lot more software that can involve in the world of educational technology. And lastly, we have self-education. Self-education has been around for a while now through online courses on Coursera, LinkedIn Learning, or Udemy. But after the pandemic, and especially during the pandemic, many people have realized that self-education is a very good way to get university-grade education for a lot less, for a lot less money and on their own schedule as well which is why a lot of pieces of software are coming out now to help uh, provide certified education certificates after, completion, after completing certain courses and tests. So that's an overview of educational technology. Um, it definitely has a lot of potential in the future. In fact, currently it holds a growth rate of about 16% through 2025 and is expected to be valued as a $400 billion global market by 2025 as well. And currently it sits at $120 billion. So there's a lot of growth to expect within the next five years. So the investors currently are very intrigued by the market because of the growth that is expected, especially due to the COVID impact that has come along, and more importantly because they're seeing almost almost 800 startups on a yearly basis. And these 800 startups are extremely niche products, such as Symbolab, for instance. Symbolab is essentially a combination of many algorithms that allow students to solve complex math problems. And they were recently acquired. They were recently acquired so that their software can be implemented into a self-educational software, which is why a lot of investors that are investing in the educational technology market are not looking to go for an IPO, but instead, as Shamwa mentioned earlier, to be acquired by a larger, whether that's a public or even a private company, that can apply their technology in broader broader ways. So yeah, educational technology is going to have a lot of potential over the next five years. We can see a lot of growth coming in along. And the best part about educational technology is that it's not a domestic market by any means. In fact, it is one of the most globalized markets out there. And the largest player, known as Baijus, is actually a foreign player from India, valued at $5.4 billion on its own. So investors are not only seeing startups come in the United States, but they're seeing them come from all around the world and apply to those specific markets, which is what makes it so intriguing. Moving on, I'll have Shamway explain the electrical vehicle market. As well,
2: yeah. I mean, before I go on to explain the electric vehicle market, I just do want to emphasize how you talked about how there's a whole new market to be explored with educational technology. I mean, for instance, colleges being able to offer a you know remote learning experience uh, in addition to their in person learning experience. I mean, this is really beneficial to foreign students and also those who just cannot afford to pay. You know, the complete cost of living on campus and whatnot. So I really do think it just brings the best of both worlds. But um yeah, moving on to the EV industry. I mean unlike blockchain, I'm certain that most of our viewers know what EV is and the impact it's had, you know, notably Tesla. Uh you know, with the given election and Joe Biden winning, a lot of the EV market has started to do well. Uh because you know we need to reverse climate change, and the plans to you know reverse that. California, for instance, hopes to you know have electric vehicles by twenty fifty. China too has placed a big emphasis on their EV market. They're trying to go all green, and so a big future just in general is EV. You know, Toyota, Honda, um, Ford. These are all companies that used to rely on gas. And after seeing the likes of Tesla, uh, Neo, Workhorse, Helion, you know, these new companies that are creating electric batteries, electric vehicles, uh, that you know not only cost the cost the consumer less money and are also more efficient, these companies are starting to learn how to keep up, and they're starting to create their own electric vehicles. And so I just like to pull up uh, a quick fact that, so in 2019. The estimated units were 3 million, 3.2 million for electric vehicles. And by 2030, it's now expected to reach 26.9 million units. And I mean, that's just an insane growth rate for manufacturing cars. We haven't seen numbers like that in a long time, You know, not since uh, regular gas cars were released back in the 1900s. So I think that electric vehicles have a big spot in VC, investors are definitely to look at looking to, you know, put the money in this area. And with that, uh, I'd like to give it back to Bara to talk about telehealth and AI and machine learning.
1: Sure, Um, So telehealth is going to have major implications, right? So after COVID, and we're still in COVID, but during this pandemic, I think a lot of importance has been put onto telehealth a lot of people are not going to be entering the hospital anymore because of the risks involved with especially COVID. And so a lot of people are moving to other options, right? So for a long time, we've been relied on WebMD. As non-doctors, non-physicians without a huge background in this area, a lot of times when we have a sort of condition, we immediately go to WebMD to search up our symptoms and see what happens. And usually we come up with the most bizarre outcomes like some disease or something like that and it ends up not being that case. But in recent years we've seen a lot more development and technology and information that is more accurate that has been putting or that is put on the internet so people like us can really identify what we're working with or what's happening to us. So I know a lot of the times when we when I have to visit the doctor's office for example, I don't actually Visited physically, right? I have like a virtual video conference with my doctor. I have a conversation. And that's really how appointments are really going on right now. So with that being said, it's kind of interesting to see how like, for me, honestly, I don't know about you guys, but I never expected to have appointments online. Like, that's just a crazy thought to me. Um, What are your
2: thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, oh.
2: Oh, sorry, you go.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to online appointments, um, yeah, well, growing up, you know, going to a doctor's office was always kind of like a little experience that you had. But I don't think any of us saw that at one point we'd be forced to go into online appointments, which is why I think the telehealth sector is so prime for growth right now. Because a few years back when people were calling for telehealth, it was like a concept and something that may help with efficiency. But now with COVID-19, it's like a requirement so that people are safer. So I think online appointments are definitely quite interesting. My only thing would be, would the diagnosis process be as effective uh, virtually compared to an in-person process? But I guess as technology continues to improve, doctors will find ways to diagnose people virtually as effective as well. So it's definitely going to be an interesting next week.
2: I mean, yeah, I agree with Adi. You know- telehealth is great in the sense that you know we can prevent sickness everyone is not accumulating at the doctor's office leaving germs on whatever chair they touch or whatever table they touch and it also you know keeps our healthcare workers a little bit more protected as well but as on as audio already mentioned you know i do worry that you know with the calls that i have with my doctor is she really able to diagnose me to the best of her ability rather than in person you know what if something's wrong with me and online you know, we think I'm okay, but I'm really not. So that, that's just one thing that does scare me. So hopefully we can find a solution to that in the future.
1: And actually, I think a great, that's a great transition on how we're going to be able to find solutions in the future. And that kind of brings me to the point of AI and ML and the implications of AI and ML in the healthcare industry and also how it's transforming a lot of different industries. This is very similar to the blockchain. However, I believe it's a little more simpler in that AI is basically training intelligent machines and ML is basically using data sets to figure out patterns to sort of solve future problems, I guess if you can say. So if you're going to be looking at, for example, healthcare data, right? So you could have different variables such as patient age, patient gender, uh, patient's conditions, um, the different symptoms that they had. And using that data, you can you have like a large, probably have a large data set, and you can make predictions on future patients. So I guess in one way, I think telehealth and AIML have a lot of commonalities, right? it's like very integrated, um, very bounded with one another, in that they can use one another to really promote this idea of virtual diagnosis. Um Using previous data is going to be a huge thing. So that's why it's just a large demand for data scientists and ML researchers and things like that. So what are your thoughts on like how AI is sort of impacting the healthcare industry? And, and it's kind of a helpful thing. But yeah.
0: Well, I'm not probably the best person to talk to about how AI is impacting the healthcare industry. But from what I know, I think speaking to what we were just talking about with online appointments and how the market for patients who need to access a doctor is becoming fully virtual. Um, I think the diagnosis process is definitely going to have to depend on artificial intelligence because doctors definitely have patterns that they can base off of to diagnose, but because of course it's a virtual situation, um, AI software may allow for some sort of uh, technology to discern exactly what the patient may be dealing with, even if the doctor isn't there in person. So I think that will definitely improve the efficacy of a virtual appointment down the line. But the question is, will AI be able to respond in a similar way to a doctor, especially when it comes to, you know, there's a primary diagnosis that a doctor makes. But then down the line, if symptoms are changing, will AI be able to understand that and then re-diagnose a patient as well? So there's still a lot of questions to be answered. That's for sure. Yeah,
2: go you ahead. actually bring up a really interesting question, because not too long ago, I remember reading in the news that they're actually now creating machines that, you know, doctors can control remotely. And that's how they perform surgery on patients during COVID, because, you know, they physically could not travel to where the patient was. So by using AI, they're able to control on um, this machine remotely to operate on a patient. And I just think that's like a glimpse of the future right there using AI, because I mean, I don't know, that's insane. Like, you know, you could be like in different countries and you're operating on a whole other person's body. So I feel like, you know, the possibilities will become they 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 will be there eventually, you know, give it time with technology, but I think we'll be able to do to create some great things.
1: I agree. I agree. And so to bring the conversation back to specifically in AI, I want to give it too simply and cold. Um, Any problem that you believe that you can solve, a machine can solve as well. And so AI has probably the most limitless possibilities in that there's AI being utilized in almost anything, right? So facial recognition, robots, um, basically anything that a human can do, we theorize that a robot or a computer can do as well. So the implications are endless, and AI is going to be super interesting. I know personally I want to get into AI after I graduate from college, Um, maybe join a startup or something like that. But that's a conversation for a later time. Um, And so with that, I believe that we're going to be stepping into more of the recap for the stock market. It's been great talking to you all about VC, and hopefully in future episodes we're going to be talking about VC further with more terms and getting deeper into industries. But for now we're gonna be moving on to how the stock market did in the previous week. So anyone of you guys can
2: take it off from here.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Just one more thing, like leaning back to BC for one second. The reason investors find these industries um, the most interesting and the most attractive for investment is because the pattern, I don't know if you guys are able to see, is between all five of these industries, There is application in absolutely any other industry, right? So like Barth mentioned, blockchain can be applied to almost any transaction. Artificial intelligence can be applied to any problem that needs a solution and has patterns. Telehealth can be applied to almost any human being across the planet. And educational technology allows a human to grow their knowledge base on a day to day basis, regardless of their age. So this is why investors are finding these industries in particular the most attractive. Because it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, or what you're doing. There's an application for this technology.
2: Yeah, so, you know, this week, some of the biggest news, I feel like, was Tesla being added to the S&P 500. And, you know, because of that, their stock price actually, you know, has some pretty good movement going from 400 to 500. Uh, What are you guys' thoughts on Tesla right now? Do you think that it's a good investment? or?
1: I feel like it could be a pump and dump. Um, I know like they added to the S&P 500, which is actually a big news because now you have like big hedge fund portfolios mm-hmm. and things like that. They're going to have to include Tesla in their portfolio. So you're going to be seeing a lot more uh, trading volumes. But personally, I don't think that the next week is going to be a little too great about Tesla. I think it's very optimistic for it to be moving such, like dramatically like that. I think it's almost like 20%, if I'm not wrong. Um, but I think I'm going to be buying puts for next week. And also I heard Tesla is actually moved down the consumer index on uh, in terms of like their cars and things like that. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, my thing with Tesla is they're clearly a brand showing optimism down the line and showing a lot of growth as well. The question is, are they really growing at the pace that the market is displaying currently, or is this sort of an overvalued pace, that will eventually come down to where they really are. Um, but like Bart said, be, with its introduction to S&P, we're gonna see it um, traded on a much high, much larger scale. And then I guess we'll get a better idea of what these high-level hedge funds are think about Tesla and whether they believe that it's the correct stock for the future. Charmoye, you have any thoughts on that?
2: I mean, you guys pretty much covered it. I mean, it's kind of similar to what we saw over the summer, uh, Tesla, I think it was at 1700 If I might be wrong, I'm not 100% sure. But it was around, it was pretty high, and it was, you know, increasing a crazy percentage. And then eventually the bubble just popped, and it just went down and down and down. And so, you know, we may see that here, we may not. But, you know, like Broad said, with the high amounts of volume being traded, we could possibly see some steady growth. I mean, me personally, I don't think I want to invest in Tesla right now, especially since there are other options, which we'll get into later during this episode, but, you know, uh, I'll keep an eye on Tesla, but I'm not 100% about it yet.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with so, that. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah, I was gonna... <laughs> We'll just cut this part out, but... Uh... <laughs> Going off what Chumoy said, yeah, I definitely agree. I think Tesla is something to have on your radar right now. Um, Being that it's at a high right now, I don't know if it's prime for investment, but maybe down the line or within the next month or two, we have a better idea of where it really is. So moving into our next topic, we recently saw an emergency approval for a lot of vaccines within the biotech sector. So I'll have Bart discuss whether we can see movement in the near future.
1: So yeah, so last week, uh, Pfizer and BioNTech, um, so I think right now they're actually asking for emergency authorization or approval for the vaccine, and personally, as a, I don't know, as like a teenager during this pandemic, I know like my biggest wish is that a vaccine comes out. Um, I know that this vaccine has like a 96%. For me, it's good enough, <laughs> um, but I know there's going to have to be a lot more testing, especially since it's a drug. It's going to have a lot more testing that's going to be needed to officially be Entering the market, and the U.S. has the most regulations in terms of the drugs and things like that. So FDA has like a huge regulation over all these things. But I'm feeling very optimistic about this. I know that a lot of the reason why stocks went up this past week has been uh, due to this news. Um, but and also like I don't know, like it's going to be interesting to see if an emergency approval is going to be sent out because um, we are in this, but at the same time this thing needs to be highly regulated or there could be a lot more duds.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the thing with the emergency approval is they might approve it for uh, people who need it immediately, such as uh, high-risk populations or uh, healthcare workers. But I think they'd also have to be careful with, of course, the efficacy and any potential side effects that might be harmful to the people taking in the vaccine. But credit to everyone who's been coming up with these vaccines because I think even though the timeline may have felt slow for everyone else who's not involved, they've managed to come up with vaccines and even experimental drugs that can uh, potentially cure uh, COVID-19 if you already have it. So within a seven-month period, we've seen a lot of growth from companies like Regeneron, Moderna, um, Novavax, and Pfizer. And so these companies have not only been able to develop vaccines, but some of them, like Regeneron in specific, when um, President Trump was diagnosed with COVID, I believe he was handed an experimental drug that they were working on and it may have supposedly saved him even though he already had COVID in his system. So we've definitely seen a lot of growth from all these companies and it'll be interesting to see how the government approves these vaccines and drugs coming into the future.
2: Yeah it's I mean it's definitely gonna be something worth watching. And you know, just to point out to our viewers, usually a vaccine can take, you know, a few years to be developed. And if you look in retrospect, we've created a vaccine in less than a year almost, or not just under a year, about a year, but that's still a very fast timeline. And so my only hope is that, you know, there won't really be too many side effects because if there is, it's just going to be a huge failure for America. And um, I hate to see that happen. So I really hope that, you know, the testing was done properly and that the drug will be safe to give. And, you know, looking at FDA approvals and whatnot, you know, from the investor perspective, I feel like it should be really important to keep your eye out for any FDA news on Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, because, you know, any approvals that the FDA announces, they can be used as catalysts for these stocks. And it can be a quick short-term game for investors out there. And so
1: with that. Let's go moving into more of the holiday spirit, the holiday season. We're going to be talking about the Thanksgiving rally and the holiday rally. Is this a myth or reality? Um, so Thanksgiving, we have Black Friday, a lot of consumer spending. With COVID, I mean, we've seen e-commerce growth a lot in the past, but with COVID especially, um, there's going to be almost like very less to none of in-person shopping. So what do you think? Um, what is the consumer psychology in this and how do you believe the market's going to be reacting to this weekend, the coming weekend, and then further weeks?
0: Yeah, so in a normal scenario of uh, not accounting for COVID, usually we see that uh, prior to a major holiday, there is a little bit of a spike in the market. Nothing dramatic, but there definitely is an uptick. Um, but as Barth mentioned with COVID, being in the world now and affecting almost every industry. It is also gonna affect Black Friday and the experience of Thanksgiving. So we can expect a lot more customers. In fact, definitely a high majority of customers to be shopping online and through portals like Amazon or any other major retailer. And so I definitely think the stock market this year of all years will see a much larger rise, especially within the tech and more specifically e-commerce sector due to the Black Friday sales that we can expect at a much higher rate, virtually this year in specific.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Ali. I, I think that for most e-commerce companies, this is gonna bring a heftier spike than you know seen in previous years. And I also think this could affect um quarter four earnings for a lot of these e-commerce companies, notably Walmart, Amazon, uh, Target as well. Uh, you know i like to pose this question to you guys. How do you think that Black Friday spending will change this year? Do you think that Black Friday spending will increase, decrease, remain the same? What are your thoughts?
1: I personally think it's going to increase. Um, we've had checks given out by the government, $1,200 checks. So I know a lot of people are going to be looking to spend this on Black Friday. The PS5 is a huge hit. Um, long lines, long waits um so i personally think black friday spending is going to be increasing i know a lot of people have been spending a lot during this pandemic um and also a lot of these big companies have had hits in terms of their sales so i know they're going to be putting up major sales attracting a lot of consumers and i know a lot of people are looking forward to be spending this holiday season especially with all the things that
0: are being going on so yeah i would definitely agree with barth on this one i think we can see an increase in black friday sales for sure Um, Over the past few years, again, not regarding COVID, we've seen, of course, the rise of Cyber Monday as well, but this year, because we're expecting almost everything to go virtual, it's almost like we're going to have a whole cyber long weekend starting from next Friday up till the Monday. So, in my personal opinion, I think the sales will definitely see a rise over that whole weekend.
2: Yeah, I mean, just to point out a quick fact, uh, Walmart and Target show that e-commerce surge won't actually die after the pandemic, and Walmart has reported that online sales have actually uh, rise 79%. And um, that's a crazy statistic, but I mean, you know, it's a crazy situation as well. And I mean, this is another question I'd like to pose to you guys. What is the future for in-person shopping and retail? Do you guys think we're going to fully transition into e-commerce?
0: So I think it's, it's gonna be interesting to see um, coming out of the pandemic, what stays and what doesn't stay, and that applies to almost anything like we spoke to earlier with education technology. Will universities continue to teach people remotely? But coming back to e-commerce, I definitely think there's something about the in-person shopping experience that people enjoy, whether that's going out with their family or their friends and trying things on and looking at certain products and then buying them in person. But at the same time, there is something to be spoken to about the efficiency and The efficiency when shopping online and how quick it is to get a product delivered to your door without even having to leave your house in the first place, which is why I think e-commerce will definitely see a rise coming out of the pandemic, but I don't see a hundred percent switch over to e-commerce and an absolute end for the brick and mortar shopping experience.
1: And so with that being said, uh, we're going to be moving into our last section of today. And it's the stock pick of the week. Uh, So just to give you a little more background before we get into the stock pick. So today, I know a lot of states and a lot of countries are actually putting on a lot more lockdown COVID restrictions. California actually has a curfew. So COVID cases are rising. Unemployment is also going up. Um, Could there be another crash? Um, Possible lockdown once again. But with that being said, we want to give you a short-term and long-term stock pick. So our short-term is going to be for the next week our long term is gonna be for what we see till the end of the year or even the start of next year. So Shomu, we'll take it
2: away. Yeah, so thanks, Barth. Um So for our, our short term uh, stock pick of this week, this next week, sorry, uh, we decided to pick Workhorse, um, as briefly mentioned before, when talking about the EV sector. And essentially, Workhorse is a company that develops electric uh, b- batteries for electric vehicles. And, you know, this past week it's been going up pretty significantly. And, you know, part of the reason is because of the new optimism that's been coming with EV and the cool thing about Workhorse is that, is their ability to convert um, vehicles into electric vehicles. And so be on the lookout because they may get a contract with, you know, Companies that use a lot of trucks, so for instance, Amazon and their Primobiles, uh possibly UPS or USPS, uh, maybe even FedEx, you know, they require a lot of trucks, that's a lot of gas, and it is it does cost these big public companies a lot of money. So, you know, there are future catalysts that can be seen for Workhorse, and because of that, their price has been going up.
1: Um, so with our long-term stock, we have GM. So, a lot of our stock picking has uh, to do with traditional trading and traditional ways of picking stocks, but we're also going to be introducing some of the more algorithmic type of trading next week in our new episodes to come. Uh, We're going to be talking about sort of the 21st century of trading, but for a long-term stock pick, we got GM, and so to give you a little bit of background, GM, they're moving into a lot more of EV production, battery production. So we're looking forward to see this traditional American company stepping into this new industry and sort of performing in this new industry. So as Warren Buffett once mentioned, you pick a stock because you believe in the stock. So some of his stocks that he's picked for so long, like Coca-Cola, have been companies that he's believed in. And, he, and so actually one marketing technique that he's actually used is that when he drinks Coca-Cola, not just because he likes it, it's also because it kind of promotes the brand as well. So that's just a fun note. Um And so, yeah, I just wanted to give you our long-term stock pick and some of the reasons why we pick the stocks that we pick.
0: Definitely. Thanks, Bharat. Um, Now, to end the episode, as we promised earlier, we're going to give you a fun fact, and we're going to compensate for the fact that last week we didn't give you a fun fact, so you guys are going to get two fun facts today. And with our first fun fact of the day, it is reportedly said that the Federal Reserve is missing two-thirds of the $100 bills out there in circulation which is currently a conspiracy, but quite interesting to think about if that's true. What do you guys think?
2: I mean, personally, that's kind of scary. Um, I mean, I
1: don't know what that means. Like, two-thirds of the $100 bills, a lot of counterfeit, a lot of, I don't know, corruption. I don't know what that means. Like, where do you think the money's going to be? And like, like drug lord's um, cabinet? I don't know. Yeah, no, there's some fact... uh, Instead of, you
2: know, making me feel happy it kind of worries me a little bit more uh two-thirds of the hundred dollar bills is especially from the federal reserve is definitely a lot and if someone has that kind of money you know a lot can be going on money laundering drug just like bro said you know drug lords uh i definitely think this is something to be looked into because you know who knows what can be done with that kind of money
0: yeah definitely uh Fun fact, but I guess a rather scary fact, suggesting the amount of money that is out there in circulation. And then our second fun fact of the day or the week is that the flu can live on a dollar bill for about 17 days. And I guess that alludes to why money can be a dirty thing. What do you guys think on that one?
2: Um, I mean, this is just scary. I can't believe I've lived for it. 18 years, and I never knew that the flu could live on a dollar bill for 17 days. That's terrible. And it also kind of interests me because I wonder if COVID could live on a dollar bill for 17 days. And I feel like that's a, an experiment that needs to be done after this pandemic is over because, you know, that that, that definitely will give us a lot of insight as to how it can spread.
1: Um, well, I guess with that being said, um, I think we're slowly developing a better immunity, guys. What do you think <laughs> with all these viruses? And I know it's a dirty thing, but, um, yeah, so I don't
0: know. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is something to be said towards the fact that a little bit of exposure to a virus or the flu in specific can help out for immunity down the line. But like Moy said, it's quite interesting that, you know, like, I'm sure the majority of the world doesn't even know that the flu can survive on a dollar bill for 17 days. But then again, I think our dollar bills are more, like, made of paper and linen compared to, like, dollar bills from other countries are like plastic so i guess it depends on the type of material as well but yeah 17 days is definitely a lot of time and i'm sure there have probably been people in the past who have caught the flu i guess from just simply touching a dollar bill and so with that being said that concludes our episode for
1: this week uh we thank you for listening to our podcast Uh, Next week, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into blockchain and some of the industries that we talked about in our episode. Um, So stay tuned for that. It's actually going to be a really interesting episode. Hopefully, we're going to bring on a special guest, and we'll announce it on our social media platforms the days before we release our episode. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be super exciting. Um, And yeah, you guys are going to be learning a lot. And so once again, this entire podcast experience is just a way for us to learn and also teach you guys at the same time and sort of simplify the information that we're teaching you guys. Also our stock picks have been pretty successful in these past weeks and we're hoping to continue this trend in the future.
2: So any last thoughts guys?
0: I mean, I think you covered most bases, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for everybody for listening today. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it. And like Bart said, next week will definitely be an interesting one and can't wait to announce who our special guest is
2: yeah i mean uh you know thank you guys for tuning in we really appreciate it um just to reiterate you know if you do have any thoughts comments ideas feedback just leave it on our social media platforms we really do appreciate it like we said we're learning we're growing and we want to you know create the best content as possible for you guys so yeah much appreciated share our um,
1: podcast um, to your friends, um, and also yeah, like what Shomai said, like we send we send out polls on our Instagram pages a lot. So just a DM or a poll answer goes a long way to help us to curate our content for you guys. You know, we kind of do this for you guys. So looking forward to our next episodes and sort of what we're gonna come up down the line.
0: Yep. So that's the Money Sitters episode three complete, and we're signing off. Thank you.